0: Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study.
1: We're going to get started in Deuteronomy. Part of what we're going to study in Deuteronomy this morning is in the Shema. So one of the chunks of our text this morning in the triennial the third triennial reading, because remember we read on a triennial cycle, the last third of every portion. In the last third of this parsha, parsha akev, we have, uh, the text that the rabbis chose to be the second paragraph of the shema. So that's what we're going to be focused on this morning. Um, and so we're going to look in our prayer books and we're going to study a little bit about the, uh, the organization of the shema. Okay. All right um so nine
0: um you just clarify for me just clarify for me uh the cycle when you're saying we do one third each
1: so we we are in the third year Mm -hmm. of a three-year cycle Mm -hmm. and we read a a third of each torah portion each year
0: now is that who's we white man who's we
1: K-I, and anyone else who's reading on a triennial cycle.
0: And do most congregations do a triennial? Most
1: do an annual. Mm -hmm. They pretend to do an annual. They actually don't read the entire portion, Okay. um, nor do they study the entire portion, because the entire portion is like four chapters. Okay. So every rabbi picks, even if they're reading on an annual cycle, the rabbi picks what they want to teach. So here, we decided not to read on an annual cycle, because we'd still be just reading one chunk we've decided to read, I decided to read on a triennial cycle so that we address one-third of every Torah portion, and that way we can't get around the text that we don't love so much.
0: Okay, and the other question is, there's a mikvah in the... Yes. Where?
1: American Jewish University has a mikvah that okay. the community can use. Okay. And it is the only mikvah that can be used for conversion, well, uh, non-orthodox also conversion. for special events? Or, yes, you know. yes. Beautiful. So, um, it's the only one east, west of the Mississippi that can be used for conversion outside of Orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. So, we are very proud of our community mikvah. However, AJU is closing that campus and probably selling the mikvah, so we're not sure what's going to happen. Okay. So, this is actually one of, um, my favorite verses of Torah because we studied it when I was at IJS a million years ago. Um, doing the IJS two-year rabbinic program, um, they always picked a line of Torah from that week's parsha. And like really used it for mindfulness practice. Um, and so we spent half a day on this line of Torah. Uh, chapter 10, verse 12 is where the triennial portion begins. If you are ever in doubt, you can go to heebcal.com and it will tell you the triennial cycle. That's where I pull our triennial beginnings and endings from. Is Not that we ever get to the end, but um, I pull it from Heebcal. Chapter 10, verse 12, uh, begins with ve'ata Yisrael, not ata meaning you, ata with an ayin, and an ayin in the word ata means now. Ve'ata Yisrael, and now you, Ma Adonai elohecha shoel meimach. What does your God, request of you, demand of you? It's the same word, uh, in Hebrew um only, and so that's what we spent half a day on at IJS we kept coming back to sit in mindfulness practice with this just those words Atta israel and now person of israel what does yethevahey ask of you and to use it as a centering line and to keep coming back to that as a mindfulness practice in this moment sometimes when i get riled up i know it's hard to believe that could happen but in the very, very, very few instances where I've gotten riled up, this has been a verse of Torah that I kind of use as a way to, right, to center and focus. Ve'atzah, <laughs> Amy, Rachel, what does Yotzevah say? What, what would God call you right now? To do, to not do, to say, to not say. Um, and it's for me, it's a, it's become like a, a favorite uh, focus line for me. Have they? Oh, right. What would Jesus do? A little different. Um, different. right? Because this is saying, what would, what would God demand of you, Jew, right now? Right? Then it was Israelite. Now we would say Jew. Okay. But that's not what Deuteronomy is about. So let's look at what Deuteronomy goes on to say. Only this. To revere Yudhei Vavhe, your God, to walk only in divine paths, to love and to serve God, Yudhei Vavhe, with all your heart and soul keeping your Jehovah's commandments and laws which I enjoin upon you today for your good. Mark, the heavens to their uttermost reaches belong to your God, Jehovah, the earth and all that is on it. Yet it was to your ancestors that God was drawn out of love for them, so that you, their descendants, were chosen from among all peoples as is now the case. We are not going back to that conversation. Cut away, therefore, the thickening about your hearts and stiffen your necks no more. Actually, so it's circumcision, right? This is the, the image of circumcision. Circumcise your heart, right? Remove the foreskin of your heart. Sit with that for a little while. For your God is God supreme and Lord supreme, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who shows no favor and takes no bribe, but upholds the cause of the fatherless the orphan and the widow and befriends the stranger providing food and clothing you too must befriend the stranger for you were strangers in the land of Egypt you must revere YHWH only your god shall you worship to god shall you hold fast and by god's name shall you swear meaning by YHWH right Yovaveh is your glory and your God who wrought for you those marvelous, awesome deeds that you saw with your own eyes, not really, not really, because who's Moshe talking to here in Deuteronomy? Generation. The next generation, they did not witness that stuff with their own eyes, their ancestors did, their parents and grandparents, they did not. but Moshe is talking to corporate Israel and corporate Israel saw all those things with their own eyes right this is very non-american this is very much this text and the text we're going to do next that got put in the shema are about corporate israel it is not about the individual
2: this is why we retell these stories because we have not witnessed it with our eyes and we want the generations to know
1: so what i hear you saying is that we witness by study By by recounting. Yes. Right. So at Pesach, none of us crossed the sea. And yet we say we were liberated from slavery. This is the way Jews do things, that our sacred mythology becomes something that we buy into as having been us, even though we know it wasn't us. It was corporate Israel. And we are part of corporate Israel forever. So Deuteronomy is addressing itself to those of you who are here today. Remember, Nitzavim, Atem Nitzavim, Hayom Kulchem, all y'all, and those who are not here. And so the rabbis say, well, how how can you address it to people who are not here? Because it is addressed to corporate Israel, which spans the generations. That's the rabbinic answer, right? That it it includes us in when it says all y'all, and those who are not here means us. Your ancestors went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now your God, YHWH Vave, has made you as numerous as the stars of the heaven, right? So referencing back to the promise to Abraham, right, that we would be, that his descendants would be as numerous as the heaven. God says, I kept my end of the bargain. I kept my end of the deal. Y'all came down here, a tiny little nothing people to Egypt, and now look at y'all, right? Because this is written to a people in sovereign Israel. Look at y'all, right? I kept my end of the deal. Deuteronomy is all about, will you keep your end of the deal? That is the charge of Deuteronomy and the Deuteronomist. Okay, here we go. So, So that, that we go back to that echoing of the language. It isn't just that paragraph of the Shema that we're used to. It's also here in chapter 11, right? It's made famous by the Shema, that paragraph, but it's here as well, right? That that all of this is to be done out of love. That is why you're supposed to keep all the commandments and all the laws, because you love God, who is the force in Reconstructionist parlance, the power that makes for freedom, the power that makes for transformation, the power that makes for healing, the power that makes for justice, the power that makes for compassion. You love that power, capital P, and therefore, want to live lives that are in line with what that would demand of you. Okay. Take thought this day that it was not your children who neither experienced nor witnessed the lesson of your God, Yudhe God's majesty, mighty hand, and outstretched arm, the signs and the deeds that God performed in Egypt against Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and all his land. What God did to Egypt's army, its horses and chariots, how yod rolled back upon them the waters of the Sea of Reeds when they were pursuing you, thus destroying them once and for all. What God did for you in the wilderness before you arrived in this place. And what God did to Datan and Aviram, sons of Eliab, son of Reuven, when the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them. Remember Korach and Datan and Aviram? Along with their households, their tents, and every living thing in their train from amidst all Israel. But that it was you who saw with your own eyes all the marvelous deeds that Yudhei performed. Keep therefore all the Torah that I enjoin upon you today, so that you may have the strength to enter and take possession of the land you are about to cross into and possess. Uh, no, 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 no. Okay, verse 9. That you may long endure upon the so- soil that Yudhei swore to your ancestors to assign to them and to their heirs, a land flowing with milk and honey. For the land you are about to enter and possess is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come. There, the grain you sowed had to be watered by your own labors like a vegetable garden. But the land you are about to cross into and possess, a land of hills and valleys, soaks up its water from the rains of heaven. It is a land which your God, YHWH looks after, on which your God, YHWH always keeps an eye from years beginning to years end. Okay, so this is a little bit of a sales job. This is a little bit of a sales job. Egypt is watered by what? The Nile, right? And the Nile overflows its banks. They built very complex irrigation systems to bring that water to the fields and to the crops. How do people water their crops in the land of Israel? How does Israel get its water? How does Israel get its water, people? The rain! Rain In season. The rain! How much control do people have over rain? And None. irrigation. Right? So, but it the rain. So, this is a sales job. The rain is completely dependent on, in their worldview, God. You have zero control over what's going on in your crops and fields, you agricultural Jews. You have zero control. God has all control. That's a better deal than... Kind of we can depend on the Nile overflowing its banks unless there's a severe drought, but what? How is that a good deal? Well, because you can help influence since God is watching all time, and you can help influence whether or not God brings rain. how? By keeping the commandments, by being holy, by doing what the Deuteronomist is telling you you need to do, putting it in the mouth of Moshe right? If you do all that, you've got the best land ever. Because the person in the sky who makes the rainfall or not for your crops is directly influenced by you living a just life and being a just nation. Not you individual Israelite. You corporate Israel being a just nation buys you rain. The Deuteronomist is saying that's a good deal. Okay. <laughs> Right. So this is very much the theology of ancient Israel that that says when it goes wrong, it's because we are not living into our end of the deal. I want to talk a little bit about our theology and like what where does that and where doesn't that line up? I just had this conversation with a bat mitzvah kid yesterday. Um, All right. It is a land which God looks after, on which your God always keeps an eye from, uh, we just said this, years beginning to years. And if then you obey the commandments that I adjoin upon you this day, loving your God and serving God with all your heart and soul. Again, mm-hmm. this is the same language as we see in the Be'er I will grant the rain for your land in season. The early rain and the late. In Israel, it's very important when the rain falls. If the rain falls in the wrong season, you're screwed. If the rain falls at the wrong time, you have flash flooding. And all of it runs off and carries with it topsoil. And then people, lots of people die, like here. Um, and so lots of people die. I mean, in Israel, in certain seasons, if you're driving through the... The the desert, the Aravi, you're coming down from Jerusalem to go towards the Dead Sea. You keep the radio on to a certain station that will warn you that a flash flood is coming. Because if you don't, you are D.E.D. Dead. I will also provide grass in the fields for your cattle, and thus you shall eat your fill Take care not to be lured away to serve other gods and bow to them, for God's anger will flare up against you, shutting up the skies so that there will be no rain, and the ground will not yield its produce, and you will soon perish from the good land that God is assigning to you. Therefore, impress these my words upon your heart. We've heard this before. Find them as a sign on your hand and let them serve as a symbol on your forehead again and again, right? We get these words and teach them to your children. Reciting them when you stay at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you get up and inscribe them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates to the end that you and your children may endure in the land that God swore to your ancestors to assign to them as long as there is a heaven over the earth. If then you faithfully keep all this instruction that I command you loving God, walking in God's ways and holding fast to God uh, and holding fast to God, God will dislodge before you all these nations. You will dispossess nations greater and more numerous than you. Every spot on which your foot treads shall be yours. Your territory shall extend from the wilderness to the Lebanon and from the river, the Euphrates, to the Western Sea. No one shall stand up to you. Your God will put the dread and the fear of you over the whole land in which you set foot as promised. All right. So talking about the borders of the land of Israel, you will be secure in your borders. This is the most important uh, thing in the ancient world, as we've talked about. Aside from having enough food, meaning agriculturally you have enough to sustain you and then you have some surplus because that's your wealth is your surplus. After that, what is the most important thing is that there's it's safety is that there's no war. War means your women because it's addressed to male Israelites. Your women and children are carried off into slavery. Right. right. You, too. But everything you love, everything you've worked to protect will be brutalized and taken away um, that, so that living secure in your land is not just about living secure in your land isn't that lovely we all want to live secure it's it's about you won't have the consequences that happened all the time in the ancient world everywhere which is war and the horrors you know we as moderns know the horrors of war in the ancient world it was so common that that's what you prayed for and what your commitment from where your God was, it, that happened to you. Of course it did. <laughs> right. Okay. So verse 13 starts the paragraph of the Shema. Um, I just want to see if everybody at home is doing okay. Everybody at home doing okay. Anybody have anything they want to say? All right. Everybody thumbs up. Okay. Um, so that's, so I want us to now look at the prayer book. And those of you at home, don't worry, Rachel Feldman, who's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful human being, um, scanned it for you. So I will share it and you will see it um, in your prayer books. It's page two. So the Shema is on page 277. So you can see, don't worry, I at home, I, I'm going to put up not this page, but another page. Shema Israel. So we get the Shema. Baruch then we get Ve'ahavta et Adonai we're all familiar with this, we all know this. Most of us don't know the next two paragraphs. The Shema is three paragraphs long, Ve'ahavta is the first one, Ve'hayam Shamoa Tishmau is the second one, and Tzitzit, the commandment for Tzitzit, is the third paragraph of the Shema. Many of us davened all three paragraphs twice a day, right? When I was growing up, we davened all three paragraphs in the morning, and in the afternoon for Mincha. So um so I grew up with these t- I know all three paragraphs by heart. And um it wasn't like just Shmanbee It it was all three. So if you look at your prayer book, page two seventy-eight and two. This is the
3: reconstructionist prayer book. So I'm clear.
1: getting there. <laughs> Thank you. Um Bert, I'm getting there. So So if you look at 278 and 279, you see that this is not entitled, we just go on from the Shema. What is this entitled? Biblical Selection 1. Because if you flip over to 283, you'll see Biblical Selection 2, right? So Biblical Selection number 2 is the traditional paragraph that we just studied, if you truly listen to, according to our prayer book, my bidding, as I bid you now, loving the fount of life, your God, it sounds a little bit different from how we read it in, right, in the JPS, uh, your God, and serving God with all your heart, with every breath, then I will give you the rain upon your land in its appointed time, the early rain and later rain, meaning right in its season, so you may gather in your corn, your wine, and your oil, I will give you your grass on the This is what we just read. Notice that it is biblical selection two. Why? Why is it not biblical selection one? That's the traditional text. Why is it number two? Any guesses?
3: I think the Reconstructionist theology rejects the idea that God controls the rain and that whole mechanical idea that if you do the right thing, you'll have rain and all your crops will grow.
1: So... I want a friendly amendment to the first part of what you said, which I don't know that reconstructionist theology doesn't include God in that which is part of what makes rainfall and not fall, right? God is within nature and beyond nature. It but but the theological implications of our behavior is what influences, right? that and and makes it about punishment and reward, that is not our theology. Therefore, They chose another, the editors of the prayer book, chose a different text for biblical selection one. So the normative reconstructionist second paragraph of the Shema has become biblical selection one. Let's look at what that is. That is on page 278, Rachel Feldman. I wish I had Rachel Feldman following me around like all day, like just making things work and making things happen. Um, so biblical selection one, 278. Let's listen to that. They're obviously not going to pick something hugely vastly different, but it's different. So let's hear why it came to pass and will again that if you truly listen to the voice of the eternal one, your God, being sure to do whatever has been asked of you today, the one your God will make of you a model for all the nations of the earth. And there will come upon you all these blessings. As you listen to the call of the abundant one, your God, blessed be you in the city, blessed be you upon the field, blessed be the fruit of your womb, the fruit of your land, the fruit of your cattle, the calving of your oxen, and the lambing of your sheep. Blessed be your basket and your kneading trough, Blessed be when you come home, and blessed be when you go forth. See, I have placed in front of you today both life and good, both death and ill, commanding you today to love the boundless one, your God, to walk in ways I have enjoined, keeping the commandments, laws, and judgments so that you survive and multiply. The bountiful, your God, will bless you on the land you are about to inherit, but if your heart should turn away and you not heed and go astray, and you submit to other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall be destroyed completely. You shall not live out a great expanse of days upon the land that you now cross the Jordan to possess. I call as witness concerning you, both heaven and earth, both life and death, that I have placed in front of you a blessing and a curse. Choose life that you may live, you and your seed. Okay, talk to me. A, I want to ask, does it fly for you? Um, So, A, I want to know... Does it work for you as an alternative text? B, um, what are, it sounds kind of similar. What, what feels like the change for you? I know you don't know these texts well, but like what, what, does it feel like a change? And do you buy it? Does it work?
2: Judith? What I feel is that it's an individual change. It's not corporate. That if we live a life with the mitzvot, if we do as much as we can, to live the way we know we're we're ordered to live, we have a much more content view of our own lives. It doesn't mean bad things won't happen. They will. But it gives us a contentment to be doing the best that we can to live by those rules. And where do you see that in the text? I see that in the promise, the first part, the promise. The punishment I, I don't see... As particularly relevant because that ca- happens anyway, whether or not God decrees it. But my my version of God is Godding anyway. So you so you're referring to the
1: the blessings part. Yes. And you just kind of cut out that you'll be destroyed completely. Part. Right. Okay. So then does it work for you? Like it destroys still in there. Okay. Works for Judas. She's just gonna edit the edited version. She's going to reconstruct the Reconstructionist version. Okay, Mark?
0: Well, I, I agree with half of Judith. Uh,
1: you agree with half of Judith?
0: Right. Okay. I don't agree. With we have, exactly. The cutting off part. Uh, I think if you don't do it, you're cursed. You're, you
1: don't do what?
0: If you don't choose life. If you choose to see everything as darkness. If you blame God for things in the way the world really works. So you have a choice as to how you experience each event as it in your life and choose life.
1: So are you suggesting that you, it works for you because it it invokes human agency it works that it's for about me. our choice? It works for
0: me, the
1: dark side curse. So this text works for you because it says you choose. Right. It's about agency, okay? That we choose to make something blessing or curse. All right. Anybody at home? Yeah,
3: I want to echo to sense what Mark said. Okay, I think first. the first the first Selection emphasizes what God's going to do, and this selection emphasizes what we're going to do. And this is about us choosing, and it's about our agency, not God's agency. In answer to your second question, I have no problem with both of them. Uh, Shocking. No, uh, the, the the traditional one has, uh, as, as I read it, I reconstruct the meaning of it, and it has uh, meaning. Uh, the, the the traditional one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I read the traditional one, understanding very much what the Reconstructionist one says. Uh, it's just a different kind of expression. Okay. But that's me. But that's Bert. <laughs> um, great. So Lee. Okay, okay. Lee. I'm not
1: sure whether this is um, applicable, but I think that if you open yourself up and practice kindness and blessing to other, it it's like putting something into a well when difficult and challenging times come, which that
2: says, will you have some juice if you will to live on to get you through.
1: And so are you suggesting this text does that more than the traditional text or that they're the same? It doesn't really matter to you. I think it doesn't matter to me. I think the same. So you're saying the message is pretty much the same. And the way you reconstruct it is by our choices. By our choice. Okay. Um, uh, Dana asks, is the choice to walk with the Jewish people or not? Um, so that's a complicated question. The, the answer is, uh, yes and no. So the, the, the choice is to keep God's commandments, to walk in the ways that God has commanded that the Deuteronomist is, is saying is Torah, right? Keep this Torah that I teach you this day, putting it again in the mouth of Moshe. Um, that that's what it's about. Now, if the Jewish people are doing that, then yes, it means you, you walk with your people in the ways that God has commanded. But you're supposed to do that whether or not the Jewish people are doing it. Does that make sense, Dana? It's supposed to be the people who says, yes, we're going to do that. So, yes, you'd be walking with your people. But even if your people is not doing it, you're supposed to. Does, does, does that answer your question? You have to because, you're, yeah, no, because you're doing God's way. Yes.
4: That's the key. But That's it's the key. The Jewish God's way. Yes, the Jewish God's way. You know, and I was thinking of, of reading these three passages in today's world when people choose not, you know, who are Jewish, but choose not to recite this or, you know, focus on the Jewish way. You know, so, I was are,
1: you, so are you saying there are. I'm confused. So are you saying people wouldn't, would do neither selection one nor selection two, because they don't want to be exclusively living in God's ways because it's Jewish. I, I guess um, when I heard you
4: read the, the three and mentioned the three and the reconstructionist, I imagined how important it is to remember that you're connected to the Jewish people when you do all these things. Um, And that's the difference.
1: That's the difference between myself Ah, and someone. You heard a difference in Selection 1 and Selection 2 vis-a-vis Selection 1, the Reconstructionist one, sounds more like you're doing this with your people. You're aligning yourself with the Jewish people when you behave this way. Is that what you're saying? Well, I just,
4: I was mostly focusing on the importance of doing the whole thing,
1: you know, because it
4: keeps the Jewish people intact. Okay. Because because so many people I know live wonderful
1: lives and they're not Jewish, you know, and they right. This, re, remember, that. Dana. It's important to remember that this text is addressed to the Jewish people. It has nothing to do with anybody else, right? That's what's really important to remember about these texts. They are addressed so, to Jews. But I I was thinking about the Jews
4: who don't read the Haftarah or put a mezuzah up or wrap the film. I mean,
1: you know. Right, but I was responding to your, I was just responding to your point that, that there are a lot of non-Jews who, who walk in these ways that, and are perfectly righteous people. That's fine. That has nothing to do with the Jewish conversation. The Jewish conversation is about how do we understand what our relationship to the divine demands from us as Jews? Then we could ask the question about us as Americans. Then we can ask the question about us as human beings, or as part of the human family, right? This is a conversation in this space about what the Jewish understanding is of what the Jewish relationship, the Jewish people relationship to design demands from Jews. Yeah, and I hear you that there are Jews who are good people who don't look at these texts. That's fine, right? They, that's, that's great. Um, some of us choose to study these texts and to ask the question, what if it still is relevant to us in our lives today and, and what is it? But thank you, Dana, for reminding us uh, about that. Okay. Um, yes, Mark.
0: One of the – you know, this seems to me to be a, a uh, text that covers an enormous amount of of uh, ground. But I, I, I'm aspect, having
1: trouble hearing.
0: I'm sorry. The One aspect of this, and uh, just a small aspect of it, is that it strikes me as – uh, being relevant to the notion of remembering that we were slaves in Egypt and that uh, it is a kind of directive as to how to make certain kinds of choices. Uh, and an example that comes immediately to mind is the attack on uh, Salman Rushdie, where there was an attempt uh, to defend a certain conception of Islam, not by choosing life but by choosing death. Um, and uh, um, so this is much broader than that. This whole this text is much broader than that. But it strikes me that it is uh, related to that notion. Remember that we were slaves in Egypt. Okay. George. I, I like the individual choice, but I, I want to talk about motivation. The motivation out of love is to do something because you love it not out of fear of punishment. And I think that uh, the better way to live is to do it out of love. Love has an inherent reward, and you do things that are good because it's inherently good. And if you do it because of fear of punishment, it changes the entire conception of behavior. So I much prefer choose life because that is good. Not because if you don't, you will get punished for it.
1: All right, so you like selection one because it's focused on doing it. Well, I don't know. The traditional one that we read from Deuteronomy talks a lot about love um, and punishment. Um, so um, I don't know that you have one without the other. In the Deuteronomist's opinion, yeah. you have both. You have love, you have ahava, and you have yirah, fear. You have both. Um so but I hear you exist. saying George I hear you ranking and the ra- the rabbis talk about this a lot. I hear you ranking it's better to do stuff out of love than out of fear of punishment. It's yeah. better to you know to behave as a good person out of love than it is out of fear. The That's rabbis right. have a lot of conversation about this. Is it better to do a mitzvah out of love or right out of Fear. They they have a lot of conversation about this, and there is. I know you're going to be shocked to hear this. There is massive disagreement about whether one is better than the other. Um, I I want to come back to that. I know somebody here wants to speak, so we'll have someone here speak. But I want to come back to this because this is this is a really important point. Robert.
0: Well, I <clears throat> apologize if I take us in a different direction. I like both of them, but t- today, uh, reading them together. Actually I think I like 2 for a, a different uh for a different reason and, and, what's and that? that is where the world is these days with climate change good heavens that 3000 years ago but it, it raises a completely different point some force created the universe this planet water sunlight ultimately us and you re- this is a miracle. Uh, I wouldn't have perhaps made the same choice 10 or 15 years ago. But right now, uh, that speaks to me
1: a lot. That's why I wanted to come back to George's point for exactly what you just said. I also prefer the traditional text. And I am very committed to acting in way in line with Justice, equity, putting a control on our desires, putting a control on how much we consume, putting a control and a check on my wanting status, which means I want this car and I want a bigger house and I want a better vacation because I see it on Facebook. If she has it, how come I can't have it? What's up with that? Right? So walking in God's ways for me means putting a check on all of that out of fear, George Out of fear, I am terrified that our behavior is not in line with what Torah asks of us, what our liberal theology would demand of us, and therefore we are killing life on this planet. We're not killing the planet. And and we talked about this at Hartman. The planet's going to be fine. Life on this planet may not be possible given what we're doing to the climate. I am doing a lot of what I do in my life that's hard when I have to make hard choices. A lot of them are out of fear because we are living at a time where our human behavior as nations could blow up the whole thing. We have the capacity to do that now. It's called nuclear weapons. If we don't work together, one of them's going to get through. I just saw this show on PBS, Cobra. (laughs) I like didn't sleep that night night. because one of them can slip through and will. And the question is, how are we going to behave? Are we going to get our act together? If we don't, we can blow the whole thing to smithereens. It is a miracle, as Robert says, that anything exists. I just read this book because all my colleagues were reading at Hartman and I felt left out. So I read this book that they were all reading and talking about called 4,000 Weeks. That's how long we get, each of us, if we live into our 80s, 4,000 weeks. It's a scary, scary title, (laughs) but it's an awesome book. But Robert, one of the things he keeps coming back to, it is a miracle we are here at all. It's a miracle that anything exists at all, that this planet exists and can sustain life, and that life has evolved to, and this is what I say, to, to be conscious of itself That life on a planet has evolved to be conscious of itself is the most miraculous, unexpected, almost impossible thing there is to imagine. How dare we, how dare we not be terrified that we might destroy it? Okay, so I'm not sure if this is fully thought out, but you were just saying that this whole text. Mike to your mouth. This text speaks just to the Jewish people. And if other people are doing whatever they're doing, that's fine and well and good. But in the context of what we're talking about here, we can't afford to be just afraid and speak to ourselves. Because if we don't speak to the whole wide world, we all go down. So we are no longer living in a world where the Jewish people can just talk to the Jewish people. Correct. And how does that? So correct. So, um, so it's, a, it's an excellent point. Um, All I all I meant by that was we don't take this text and show somebody else and say, this is what you're supposed to do. We translate what this means we think we should do. And then we go out and campaign for politicians that are going to put that policy into action. Right. We vote. We take these values into the voting booth to influence our American society. This is Kaplan. Right. This is Reconstructionism par excellence. What you just said, our Jewish Values You are deeply Reconstructionist. Our Jewish values should influence how we behave in the public space. What we advocate for as Americans, what we as Americans advocate for Jewish as we as Jewish Americans advocate for in the world community space. It's not unrelated to everybody else. But we can't use this text to say, see y'all, uh, y'all are supposed to follow the words of Deuteronomy. We can only say that to ourselves. Other peoples have their texts. Some people have no texts, but we can all agree climate change is a disaster waiting to kill everything. And so so how do we behave? Christian values, Muslim values, you know, whoever's Buddhist values also will compel them, hopefully, to want to work out of George love and fear um, because I know you can take everything I just said and say, okay, but you could say I do it out of love of nature. I do it out of love of creatures. So I'm not saying they're antithetical. Um, but I did want to make the point that, that I, I think fear has a really important place um in yes. the conversation about what we should and should not be doing. And we give it a bad rap. Um And, and so if it's fear of punishment, I agree. Like we, I'm not, we don't as liberal Jews believe in a God who punishes. So like that, the fear of punishment is not obviously what I'm talking about. When I talk about fear being a motivator, I'm saying an awareness that we should be terrified <laughs> and we're not terrified
3: enough. As you mentioned, this is the second paragraph of the Shema and in English, there's something we don't pick up because the word you in English is both singular and plural, but the via hafta, which we all know, am I not correct? That's in the singular when it says you shall love. <laughs> okay. And the second paragraph, which is the one we're discussing is in the plural. So part of what I get out of that by reading both of them is part of what we need to do is personal and part of what we need to do is collective. So but but the traditional selection, right? Um traditional one is in the plural. Yeah. Uh,
1: well, so so that the there's part of it that's plural. Okay, and part of it is And a part similar. of it's a singular. So to to your point, like it's both and whenever we're talking about rain in its season, it has to be collective, right? There's no way that that's individual. It has to be collective. So even if it's addressed to the individual, it's about the corporate Israel is made up of individuals, but it's talking about corporate Israel. You American, if you drive an SUV, right, you know, like, here's what's going to happen, right? The Rain is not going to fall. There's going to be drought. There's going to be flooding in other places, right? You know, and so it's addressed to each of us. So we have a sense of individual responsibility, but, but the consequences are global, right? And for us as a people, that meant for global to the people Israel on its land. Now, of course, to your point, it's like global, global, um, right? Whether or not we live in line with, with what Torah is teaching.
3: So there's a we as well as a me here. That's very important. Yes.
1: And, and, they, right. are, and they are not separate in our understanding right. of things as, as in classical Jewish texts. They're not separate. You as an individual will have an impact on the corporate reality, and the corporate reality will be rewarded or punished. And I believe that we do that to ourselves, right? We will be rewarded or punished based on our choices.
3: And there's the idea, is there not, that there is individual sin and also collective community sin? Yes. That it's not just about me and whether I get to heaven, but there's a we that I'm a part of? Correct. Some of the sacrifices were Uh, communal sins?
1: All of them are communal in the fact that the sacrifices cleansed the communal space of mm -hmm. sin.
3: But some of the sins were individual and some were communal. No. And individual is the one who who brings the the offering. mm -hmm
1: unless it's the priest bringing it on behalf of the people. But but only individuals could bring uh, sacrifices for their sins. So I want to show you um, a, you don't have this at home because I didn't get it to Rachel in time to scan it. Um, this is a series called My People's Prayer Book. Anyone who's interested in studying liturgy, Jewish liturgy, this is a fabulous, fabulous resource. What they did is that they took the text. So we're going to look at, I'll show you... Um, The text of our, here's the text of our Torah portion, the second paragraph of the Shema. You can at least at home see that I'm indicating a tiny little bit right on the page. This is the Hebrew text that we just looked at. Everything else around it is commentary. So they designed this like a page of Talmud. That the text that we're dealing with is this tiny little piece in the middle. Everything else around it are different commentators, kind of the leaders of when this was published, you know, who you would go to for a commentary. It starts on the front of the page and continues on another page because they wanted a little snippet of everybody's voice on the first page so that you got a taste of each person's commentary before you have to go read the rest of it somewhere else. That's an editorial choice that is very Jewish. The whole commentary can't fit here. But they didn't say, okay, for so-and-so's commentary, go to page 107. Instead, they put four lines of Judith Plaskow's commentary here. Then you go to 107 to read the rest. Because they wanted you to have a taste of lots of different thoughts um, surrounding the text. So this is saying you've got lots of different ways of looking at this piece of text on one page. That is the Talmud. The Talmud does the same thing. You start next to the text, what Rashi has to say, and often you have to go down to the bottom of the page of Talmud to read the rest of it. But, but the, the people who wrote the Talmud wanted very much to have all of those voices on the page. Because it is a choice about there's not one way to look at this, and there never has been. And so the fact that they chose to do that for me is a really important point, even though it's very frustrating to try to read the commentary. Um, it's very frustrating, but it is a really important point that they're not suggesting this person goes first because they're our authoritative source. We're putting everybody on the page and you get to pick which one you're like, yeah, that really resonates for me or doesn't or se- several of them do or none of them do. It's up to whoever's studying. So I cannot recommend this series uh, highly enough. Um, And they have commentary on our text. And I just wanted to uh, share with you from uh, Judith Plaskow, feminist Torah commentary, um, a little bit of her commentary. It is not necessary to read this paragraph of the Shema, the traditional version, as a literal statement about divine reward and punishment. In a world whose survival depends partly on the human capacity to value creation and care for it wisely. It is possible to interpret the passage more naturalistically. If we are able to develop an ecological consciousness, if we treat the earth with respect, if we are aware that we are embedded in a great web of life of which God is the ultimate source and sustainer, then the earth will bear fruit for us and the rain will come in its season. But if we believe we can trample on or transcend the constraints of nature... If we forget the sacredness of all things and make idols of our own wealth and power, quote, the earth will not grant its produce, end quote. And both we and our world may perish. Sidur Birkat Shalom expresses this idea in a lovely meditation on the Shema, quote, Israel, your covenant with God is made of choices, holiness or profanity, life or its destruction. You can never keep from choosing. If you set yourself to love God with everything you have, God's gifts will be yours. A vital earth, its seas and continents moving slowly in their own way. The rain and sun and snow and clouds forming and changing. But if you forget God and choose instead to fashion gods of your own, you may lose everything you have. This blue-green earth, so beautiful, so solitary, it is as fragile as you are. And as precious. Beware lest in giving way to excess you risk too much. A beautiful interpretation, either of Selection 1 or 2. I just think it's just, this is such for me, mm, the value of feminist Torahs, those kinds of insights.
0: You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday Morning Torah Study from Kehillot Israel in Pacific Palisades, California.